Hello and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I'll be your host. And with me, as always, is the erstwhile Mark LaRocco, the former editor, the longtime friend, the current podcast partner. How you doing? Good. I, I like that introduction. Former, hey. former longtime and current. It's time to step it up. We gotta, we gotta take this thing seriously. Give it, give some professional quality. That's right. To our, to our listeners, new and uh, if you're, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. If you're a longtime listener, thanks for sticking with us. Of course, we always want to get the, uh, the ratings on uh, iTunes and Spotify and all those places where you can find our, our podcast. That's right. But uh, so, so before, before we started recording, you mentioned that. Uh, you you've been watching movies right up to just to moments before we start. Yeah. So what were you tell us tell us about what we were watching tonight? You know, we just finished Harry Potter five, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which my oldest son um, said that he has read, and so I wasn't sure if I believed him, but he said enough <laughs> stuff during the movie that I was convinced he read it. You know that he he talked about the differences, and it's one of the movies uh, the 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 books that's quite different because the, yeah. the book was 870 pages long. I remember it was the longest Harry Potter Was it book. that long? It was so long. Maybe wow. it was a little less, but I, for some reason that number's in my mind. And so the movie, it's, you know, two hours and 15 minutes or something. And so there's a lot that they sort of shortened and, uh-huh. and did a little faster and cut out, you know, so, cause it's just so long, such a long so- book. So have you guys been watching the movies one at a time or yeah. did you just kind of jump into this one because he had read the book? No, we've been watching them, but it's been over a long time. It hasn't been like a binge at all. I mean, I, I think it's actually been a few years since we watched the first one and then we kind of stopped. And I kind of, I was like wanting him to read the books and then it was sort of like as a reward for each book, we'd watch a movie, but then he just, he kind of lost interest and then he would read read one again. And so, and he's he's on six now is what he told me. So I'm kind of hoping he gets through them and we can finish them, but they do get yeah. scarier and scarier, and the whole family's watching yeah. them. We have all the kids there watching all. Well, no, because what you, what you're describing sounds just like my sister. Uh-huh. What she what she's been doing with my nieces, because I think that you know, because we saw the movies when we were already adults, and mm-hmm. so the the natural transition from kind of lighthearted to a little bit more dark and serious. Yeah, I. I mean, we noticed it, but it didn't really matter. It, Whereas I, I look at it and think, okay, well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to show them to kids, I mean, you wouldn't want to marathon them all in a weekend, right? Yeah, because yeah, it's a pretty it's dark, and the kid and the, you know Harry Potter and his friends grow up, and the movies kind of grow up, and yeah. they deal with death and possession and terror, terror and terrorism a lot more, and um, I, and so yeah, this one has a lot of flashback and. Mm-hmm. scenes where Harry's mind is being infiltrated by Voldemort and there's a lot of quick cuts and um all, you know almost horror movie elements um and I think it was PG-13 if I remember right cuz the movies start out PG and then after right. 3 or 4 they're just all PG-13 yeah so yeah yeah well and it's fu- it's funny too because that was so order of the phoenix right that's mm-hmm. the fifth one yeah so that was the first Harry Potter movie that I saw after reading the book first. Mm. So I had I had watched the other movies and enjoyed them, but it just never really, you know, because with the first couple, I think it was pretty apparent that, oh, well, these kids are, or these, these books are a little bit more, you know, for kids. And so I didn't really have mm-hmm. the incentive. But then, but then I remember distinctly before the fifth one, 
my sister just kind of put her foot down. She's like, hey, you have got to read one of these books before you see the movie. So, <laughs> yeah. So I so I, I read Order of the Phoenix. And I remember that was kind of the first time, based on just what you described, that I felt a little disappointed by the movie because just, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of changes. And there was, yeah. there was some... You know, there was a lot of content that was left out and some some alterations and stuff. I mean, in the long run, I still enjoyed it. You know, yeah. as time has gone on, as I watched the movie, I think more about the movie. But um, yeah, so I, I didn't start reading the books until the fifth one. And then I read the sixth and seventh before I saw those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, went back and read the third book. Yeah. But that's that's all. I Like, I've never read the first, second, or fourth oh, Harry funny. Potter books. I, yeah. I remember reading the first two, and it was funny. I think I started Harry Potter when there were already three or maybe even four books out. And, yeah. and I read the first two, and they didn't hook me. They were fine, and I thought, oh, they were good. But I didn't, yeah. I didn't immediately have to pick up three. So if a couple of years went by, and then I read book three. And once I read book three, I just raced through all of them. I was so... I mean, it was it was in me, you know. It really had me, and so once I read book three, I was so excited to go to four, to Goblet of Fire, and then five, and then I remember I read six, and then seven hadn't come out. So I read three, four, five, and six, yeah, pretty quickly, I think. And seven hadn't come out, so I was one of those nerds that went to the Walmart at like midnight. So we were there together, yeah. Because I was gonna say no, because I (laughs) I I just I remember. Going to the the Centerville Walmart. Oh, did, was and, it? Oh, and getting it. Yeah. Well, it would have been because I think that's when we were roommates, wasn't it? Gosh, I'm gonna. Was it 2007, it 2008, somewhere in there? I, I if if it is, then it would have, would have been us because yeah, that's the only one I actually bought was Harry Potter yeah. and the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, um, and then you know went home like everybody else and tried to crank through it before anything got spoiled. Yeah, yeah. It says July of 07. so that would have been yeah when we went there and got it because I. And I remember we had a guy in our our ward who did read it. He had finished it by the time we were at church on Sunday. So he spent most of the day Saturday and part of the night reading it. Um, I mean, seriously. Because <laughs> that was, was a like, long one, too. It was like, like was 12 or 13 hours of straight reading for this guy, or maybe even God. more. So I, I didn't do that. It took me a few days, but yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I, I liked yeah. them. Yeah, they're great books. Yeah, no, and I, I think I think the third one was when they kind of, like I said, I didn't read the first two books, but it, it it definitely feels like in the movies and and from what I gather in the books that that's it was the third one where it kind of starts hitting its stride, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I remember really liking, and in fact, I I have I have a lot of kind of distinct memories of watching those movies and reading those books where I remember seeing the third movie at an IMAX theater in New Orleans because my, my dad was on a, a business trip there in the, in the summertime. And so I tagged along with him. I think it was just right after I'd graduated from Utah state. Oh. And, uh, and there was just one day where we had some time. So we went over to catch a movie and we watched the third Harry Potter movie over oh, in okay. New Orleans. But uh, anyway, well, that's, that sounds like kind of a fun Halloween appropriate. Yeah. You know, it ain't yeah. no zombie fest, but uh, but Harry Potter 5 will do the job, right? Yeah, it's it's fine. We're we're it's so funny <laughs> to try to find things that are good for the kids that are like not too sure. scary but also not like the same thing over and over. I mean, we they end up watching the Nightmare Before Christmas every year. Um Oh yeah. And I actually the first time I saw that movie was only a 
few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, and I didn't like it. Really? But I've grown to like it now. It was just, it was annoying and weird, and I didn't like the music. <laughs> and then the music grew on me after two or three oh, yeah. uh, viewings, and I, I thought it was pretty good. So I, 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 I wasn't one of those people that saw it in the 90s like I was supposed to. I, I don't know why I missed <laughs> like, that one. You missed your, uh, <laughs> missed your obligation yeah. there. No, I, I saw that one the weekend it opened. Mm. at the Villa Theater in Salt Lake before the Villa Theater became Adib's rug gallery. It was it was cool. It was it was a lot of fun. I I just I mean with with kind of the art background and especially at that time I was doing a lot of drawing and taking a lot of art classes in high school and so just the the whole the whole visual aesthetic of that thing just really captured my imagination. I just I just adored that movie. So mm. you know it's, I'm glad. I'm glad. Better late than never. Yeah. That, uh, that you were able to jump on board. Mm-hmm. But 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 maybe we should maybe we should talk about something a little bit more current. Okay. Um. I do have I do have some new stuff to report on. In fact, one of them, I think, is getting its wide release this weekend. Uh, this weekend being, you know, we're we're speaking on uh, Halloween 27th. weekend. Yeah. 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 Although, yeah, not not a Halloween movie. This is this is a little bit more of what I would say, kind of. Uh, prestige Oscar season, award season uh, release. Um, so Till is the movie that I saw, uh, which refers to Emmett Till, who, if uh, if you remember your civil rights history, um, was the name of the young boy, the young teenager, I think he was 14 years old, uh, who was the victim of a lynching, a, a murder in the South in Mississippi, uh, I think it was, and uh, one of the key, how would I say it? Just, just one of the 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 main standout events that that kind of triggered the momentum of the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 1960s. Hmm. Um, and so Till is the well, so Till is partially the story of what happened to the boy. But more about his mom, and and that's that's one of the things I found kind of interesting about this movie because I'm still feeling a little split on it. Like the one thing I can say, one hundred percent, and and I would I would almost recommend people seeing this for this alone, is the portrayal of his mother, mm. uh, uh, Danielle Deadweiler, is the actress who plays um, Emmett Till's mom, uh, Mamie. And she is spectacular. Uh, she really, I mean, so so Emmett, the whole, you know, his, his murder basically takes place within the first act of the film. Mm-hmm. And so he's really, you know, the, the actor who plays uh, Jalen Hall um, is really more of kind of a supporting role in the film. And so most of the film and its narrative is, is kind of focused around uh, the mother and her reaction to... Uh, you know, the murder and, and how she kind of guides its aftermath. Um, because ba- basically, I mean, again, if you're, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, the thing that really kind of made this distinctive, because unfortunately what happened to him was not uncommon. In fact, at the beginning of the movie before, so, so she and, and her son are living in Chicago, and he has decided that he wants to go down to Mississippi to visit some family for a few weeks and and she is just 
really, really upset about this and very apprehensive. And uh, so there's, you know, all kinds of mm-hmm. foreshadowing because she just knows that, you know, this is this in this uh, mid mid 1950s. And and she's aware of because of cultural differences and just how how bad things were that this is not going to be a, a you know, a safe or likely a positive experience for him because he's this very outgoing and vivacious and kind of mm-hmm. kind of energetic young man. And and that's just not the kind of thing that's going to fly in this very, very segregated, racially divisive, you know, heated uh, culture down in Mississippi. So it could be a combination um, so, of like she's just aware as an adult living in the the time period of, of what yeah. it's like, but also maybe like a mother's intuition, you know, being right, protective right. of her son and just having that bad feeling. Yeah. You know? uh, so he does, you know, he takes the trip and uh, the what what really kind of causes the problem is that he's out with a couple of his cousins and they go to a local uh, just kind of a general store. And, and he just makes a couple of, you know, just kid-like innocent comments. I think, uh, I think at one point he whistles at the, the store clerk and the store clerk is this white woman. Uh, uh, her, uh, Carolyn Bryant is the name of the, the real, real life character, uh, Haley Bennett plays her. And so he whistles at her and she decides to go off and tell on him because that's, it's unacceptable for, uh, a young young African-American boy to whistle at a white woman. And so that just gets everything going. And before you know it, people are showing up in the middle of the night and they're threatening people's lives and they carry Emmett off. And, and it's really terrible. Now, it's a PG-13 movie. And, and I think by, by conscious choice, they really didn't kind of get into the violence of what happened. Um, what they do do is they show the aftermath of it. And that's, that's really what I think, to my understanding, made this a uh, kind of a landmark civil rights event is that rather than uh, have a closed casket funeral, which would be kind of the obvious choice, because not only was he, you know, he was shot and he had been, he had been tortured and uh, he, he was discovered in a river. And so his body had, you know, already kind of swell, uh, swollen and, and uh, was pretty much unrecognizable. And, yeah, yeah, right. Um, but rather than have a closed casket funeral, his mother decided to have an open casket funeral and basically made it this public display to say, this is what did they, did, they did to my boy. This is what is happening in this part of the world. This is, this is the face of racism. And, and that's why Emmett Till is more or less a household name, whereas, you know, because, again, the point is not that this was an especially unique thing to happen. I mean, I think that was kind of the message that was, was the that point. this is the kind of thing that is happening and it's time that people know what's going on. And so the rest of the movie then is kind of about her publicly, you know, displaying her, her son's body and kind of the immediate aftermath of that. And there's, there's some content about the, uh, the trial of the people back in Mississippi who were, you know, caught and, uh, and tried for murder and, and that kind of thing. And, and that's where, it, I don't know, it's, I've thought a lot about this because I think I would, I would call it a good movie, right? Um, and I would recommend that people go see it because 
again, the the performance from from Danielle Bedweiler is is fantastic. Just, I mean, she really, really kind of encapsulates this this terrible journey, mm-hmm. you know, that she goes on, and and she has some really, really great moments. And that's that's why I say like this kind of feels like the kind of movie that uh, is uh, is going to get attention for best Oscar you know, or best, best acting kind of performances. Yeah. Um, not best, best Oscar. Right? <laughs> what was the best Oscar last year? Anyway, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but, uh, the movie itself is just good. This is just one of those situations where the real life story struggles to translate into a movie in, in kind of a traditional story sense yeah because and and part of it you know i don't want to give away anything too major but like i think what happens in the trial also kind of i mean it's not because you couldn't really call it a courtroom drama but Mm. that's kind of the closest thing that they have to a third act yeah and so i don't know i mean i don't want to sound like i'm just kind of all negative and critical about it. Cause I would still say overall that the, the high points outweigh the weaknesses, but that's, that's why just to kind of articulate this idea that I felt like I really, really liked the performance, but the movie was just kind of more, more middle of the road as far as, you know, uh, civil rights dramas, you know, go. Yeah. So it, that so would be a kind of take that. A, yeah. I think I'm going to watch it. I think I'll see it. I, I, that sounds like a genre we should study sometime. We should uh, talk about sometime, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of movies. Now that I'm sort of running through them in my head, um, Malcolm X might might be the best yeah, one. Yeah, Malcolm X, right. Um, Selma, I remember mm-hmm. that. Um, I did not see 12 Years a Slave. Oh, I saw that. Um, but, uh, that was so much. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. Holly and I went and saw it in the theater, and she just hated it. It's so oh, brutal. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like Schindler's List for slavery, in oh, a way. Okay. It's pretty graphic, and you know, it is really good. And um, and it's a it's a cool. I mean, I shouldn't say cool, but it's a very fascinating true story <laughs> about right. the, written by a. He was actually a free free black man who was kidnapped and sold into slavery and had to make his mm. way back to the north and so he experienced slavery after having a life of relative privilege you know um his name was solomon lane and so it's really good um it's a it was the best picture winner that year yeah. um well then yeah so yeah. if you if you see uh, uh if you see till then you'll have to let me know mm-hmm. how it stacks up because yeah yeah hidden figures so like, I, I guess maybe yeah. that would be kind of like a three star three three out of four know. or five yeah, three out of no, three out of four. Okay, you know, just because there, it's it's there are enough quality things that I would definitely recommend it. Like like I say, just just by virtue of the the lead performance, I think this is something that people would you know get something out of. Yeah. But um, but the movie itself just and like I said, I think it's just because it's one of those things where when you try to take a real life story and you want to be faithful to the real real life story. But it doesn't always fit into the because because it seems like the the appropriate climax or the appropriate third act for this story would be justice for Emmett Till, mm-hmm. and in this case, the only equivalent 
justice would be kind of the results of the civil rights movement itself. That, but yeah. this movie isn't going to tell that entire story. It's only telling kind of this little window of time that kind of got things going yeah. towards the civil rights movement. And so so it, it feels more like a prelude than a complete story. Yes. And so maybe that's why the epilogue is so important, like the title cards on the screen. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. So I also have a documentary series to report on and uh, also recommend. I, I did think this was, was quite good. It's a three-part series called Aftershock. It's on Netflix, and it is talking about the uh, earthquake in 2015 in Nepal that did some tremendous damage to Kathmandu, um, as well as uh, caused some, some real tragedy up at Mount Everest and uh, some, some other kind of more remote villages. And it's really something, something incredible. And, and like I say, it, uh, it, it kind of makes, it leaves me thinking, man, was I just not paying attention to the news or just was I not grasping the scope of what was going on? Because, you know, you, you kind of go in depth on, because uh, they, they have a series of interviews with survivors from kind of all the major scenes of, uh, of action, so to speak. Um, there was um, some people that were on their way. Uh, they were in the middle of doing an ascent on Everest and were basically trapped and, and had to kind of hole up at one of the, uh, one of the camps uh, to wait for, for rescue. And then, of course, there's just this all kinds of damage in, um, in Kathmandu, including uh, the, the kind of focus on a hotel uh, that buries a number of people um, and then there are these other these hikers from Israel who were part of uh, uh, a group of survivors out at this nearby valley um, that's a little more accessible than, than Everest, but still, you know, very remote and very, uh, you know, there was a lot of tensions out there and, and this entire village was kind of wiped out. And but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's there's not a whole lot to say about it other than just to say, you know, if you're looking for an interesting documentary series. Um, with some really incredible cinematography because, of course, they go and they, they have some actual footage from the event itself because there were a lot of people who were recording. Um, but then, of course, they have some of their own footage that they've added and some reenactments and things. And it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful area. And then you kind of factor in some of the, the drama of these things. And, and it's, uh, I don't know, just, uh, just another good documentary series if you're if you're into the documentaries if you're into the series the long form i would say this would be a good one to check out cool uh, is it yeah. is it a 2022 release then it's a new one uh yes okay. yes it is and uh i mean just for the record it's tv mature just for a little bit of uh periodic language here and there it's it's not i'm trying to remember if there was even really, I mean, there there's some footage from the earthquake that is, you know, kind of intense, mm-hmm. um, and so so that might be a little a little upsetting for some viewers. But it's the rating is really just kind of for the language. Yeah. Okay. So. Cool. Yeah. Well. So what you got? Well, I can tell you about <laughs> one thing, one uh, documentary that I saw called "The Sound of 007. Uh It's on Amazon Prime. It's new. It just came out this month in October. And I, I thought it was going to be a more of a traditional documentary about the music of, of the James Bond movies with talking heads and interviewing composers and 
mm-hmm. maybe some some of the actors I don't know and it wasn't it was just a concert film uh, uh, and it was fairly short I think it was just over an hour and it was uh, so what it, it was at the Royal Albert Hall Royal Albert Hall oh, okay. in London and um, what they did is they had the full band you know sym- symphony orchestra accompaniment there and then they just brought out a different singer for each song they would announce there would be a voice announcing the singer please welcome dame shirley bassey and she was the first one she's like 85 years old the reason i think they picked her is she did three bond songs in this in like the 60s and 70s so she was she was really old but she could still sing um she did diamonds are forever and goldfinger i was gonna say i think i remember her singing goldfinger yeah I mean, it was, it, she was a little bit shaky. It definitely wasn't, you know, in her prime, but, um, and so it, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't really anything special. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I, I felt like they missed an opportunity on a few of the songs. Like they didn't do Writings on the Wall, which I think is one of the best songs. It's a Sam Smith song from Spectre. And, oh, okay. um, and, and they didn't normally have the original singer too. And I think the reason that they released this is because they said, hey, it's the 60th year of Bond movies. Um, and let's do 60 years of Bond music as a little tribute to all these great songs, many of which were nominated or, you know, famous songs. And eventually, finally, one of them won an Oscar, which was Adele for Skyfall. Um, okay. and, uh, and, but the first one came out in 1962. It was Dr. No. It was a Sean Connery. Yeah, and, right. And it wasn't actually the first book that Ian Fleming wrote. The first book he wrote was Casino Royale, which has been done twice as a, as a Bond movie, essentially. But yeah, we have 60 years of Bond movies. So of course, they're, they're going to leave a lot out they're, you know, um, sure. you just can't do that many. But um, I did enjoy it. Well, few... because wasn't wasn't Skyfall the 25th movie? Or was um, it another one? Because I want to say that it might have been. I don't remember what what number they're actually on, but it seems like it's in the high twenties now. Yeah, like something 27, like 28. Um, I, yeah, I think you're right. And and uh, I think Daniel Craig did five movies, right? Did he end up doing five? He did. So he did Casino Royale. He did Quantum of Solace. He did. Skyfall, uh, Spectre. Skyfall, Spectre. No time and to die. Yeah. No time to die. Yeah. So, yeah. He had a long. I mean, 16 years, five movies, and he was actually kind of tired of it after three movies, from what I understood. Oh, but, yeah, um, right. <laughs> but anyway, the the music. So there was. Uh, I'll tell you a few of few of the. Well, okay, garbage. Have you ever heard of the band Garbage? Shirley Manson. Sure. They did "The World Is Not Enough." That's their song. Um, okay. And it was a little, a little, little off, and, and a little weird for that crowd too, <laughs> for the Royal Albert Hall crowd. Um, and then the lady who Adele didn't sing, but uh, her name was Emma Linders. She really did an amazing job that huh. did the Adele song, um, the, the Skyfall. And then uh, there was a nice little tribute to Chris Cornell. He did the song oh, from okay. Casino Royale called You You Know My Name or You Don't Know My Name. I can't remember the, the full title, but um, the guy who co-wrote the song with him, who's also the guitarist and who was up there for a lot of it. He kind of announced him and said, I never wanted to hear anyone else sing the song, but I, but I feel like it's, you know, I want to recognize him and his genius and I'm going to do it. So he, he played the guitar and sang the song. Um, and then uh, I, I also, uh, have you heard of Jamie Cullum? He's, uh, that does sound familiar. He's, he's, uh, 
he's got a few albums out and he he did the from russia with love okay so that's one that was quite old i don't even know who the original singer was but um so you know the crowd was really into it they gave a few standing ovations and they had a screw they had a monitor behind the the musicians where they would show mm. sometimes scenes from the movie um but it was more like the openings of the movies and and the colors would kind of go along with the song sometimes like the goldfinger song that Shirley Bassey sang that was a gold sort of swirl you know that opening scene where you see James Bond in the middle of a circle and he turns to the camera and he yeah. shoots that they had a lot of that in there um and then one of the interesting choices they made is i guess han han zimmer composed the music for no time to die and he came out they're like please welcome composer of no time to die han zimmer and I'm like oh I'm like is he a singer too does he sing so he came out and he had a guitar and he just played the guitar for for the song okay. and it wasn't the bass huh. and it wasn't the main lead guitar but he was playing the you know playing along and um kind of moving around like a like a guitarist rock star it's kind of funny cuz he's you know so is it is it kind of like when they have Mick Jagger or Bono pick up an acoustic guitar for a song just to kind of show like that they're play. multi-talented and make him play something i don't know i mean i've heard he's extremely talented and probably he he probably plays like eight instruments or something i don't know but um it was it was a little funny but he did a good job and it's it was cool and so that was an a full instrumental kind of the the theme from no time to die and they didn't do okay. the song no time to die from billy eilish they they did the theme um she was unavailable she was unavailable yeah there weren't any really big stars there i once yeah. once they brought out shirley bassey and then i i was looking on wikipedia and i was you know sitting there with my wife and i'm like oh wow this is the original singer from these bond songs from like 40 years ago and more and so yeah. i started thinking oh who are they going to bring out like maybe they just got all the big guns for this documentary and unfortunately nope. they they didn't <laughs> Well, they couldn't do um, because I think it was a Louis Armstrong song was the the one for Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, the we have all the time in the world because they they used it in No Time to Die. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. you know they did do that song. I don't remember who they did do that song. It. They have some. We have yeah, all the who, time who in the world. It was a uh, oh, you know who it was? It was I've seen this guy in concert. He opened for Andrew Bird, John Grant. It was John a guy Grant. named John okay. Grant. Doesn't sound familiar. Real Wikipedia. Extreme. It's a very interesting bio. Come on, Mark. I can't. I can't use Wikipedia. I tell my students oh. they can't, and it would be inappropriate for me. Okay, don't use Wikipedia then. Just Google him. <laughs> Just Google him. <laughs> anyway, well, why don't you go to your local public library and go to the encyclopedia? There, there we go. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll dig out the Encyclopedia Britannica edition yeah. from 2022. So. Anyway, in conclusion, not a real strong recommendation. <laughs> it was fine. It wasn't anything special. Um, if you're a movie fan, a music fan, you're like you really want to, or you really love the Bond, Bond themes. I mean, definitely watch it. But yeah. otherwise, there's a lot of other, probably better concert films. It sounds like it. Well, and yeah, which uh, which is just another way of reminding ourselves and perhaps our listeners that uh, we are we are now in the works planning mm -hmm. an episode where we will feature our favorite concert films because that's another one of those that's another one of those lists that once you start thinking about titles and options it's like there's a lot of them there's a lot of good ones mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's funny you mentioned Royal Albert Hall because one of the last ones I saw 
was also set at the Royal Albert Hall. The uh, uh, Netflix has a new uh, a, a new slash old documentary on uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Oh, okay. And so it's kind of a combination of uh, you know their background, and so it's kind of the story of Creedence uh, narrated by Jeff Bridges. But then, but then at least half to two thirds of it is really just kind of a straight concert film from their performance at the Royal Albert Hall in okay. probably 1969. I want to say um, when they were just in a, in a flurry of like I think they released three albums that year. Wow! And just yeah, no, that's that's one of those bands that when you sit down and start listing the songs that you recognize, they're like three times more than you would have thought. Oh yeah, they just had so many. Just, you know, really fun, memorable, you know, catchy, well done songs. That's a great, yeah. that's a great band. Yeah, I had their so. greatest hits. Um, and I believe it was 20 songs. It was just, that's the only album I ever had was of theirs. Chronicle was, Volume One. Right. And the interesting thing about it was I ended up hearing a few other songs that were just as good that weren't on there. I'm like, oh, they are a yeah. pretty good band. Cause they, I heard, uh, I believe Born on the Bayou is not on yeah. that album. So Chronicle Volume 2 has Midnight Special and Born on the Bayou and a okay. few others. Yeah. That, uh, they're like Good Golly, their, their cover of Good Golly, Miss Molly. Yeah. Which, uh, which, as I recall, my drum teacher insisted was the greatest solo of all time. So. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. You might have to look that one. You can, you can, you can Wikipedia that one if you'd like, <laughs> okay. or you can Google it. You will allow way. me to Wikipedia. Will, okay. You know, if you if you want to <laughs> defile yourself and undercut your your academic credibility by going to Wikipedia, you go right ahead. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that I yeah. I do. I I read Wikipedia way too much. I think of I think of a band or a movie or an actor, and I'm like, oh, I got to look it up, and it's just I do it even during just, movies. Yeah. I just will always love that. <laughs> That moment in uh, I can't even remember what episode or what season it was of The Office when when Michael Scott is saying, you know, Wikipedia is the best thing ever. Uh-huh. Anyone in the world can put anything on there, oh, yeah. you know, that they want. <laughs> so you know you're getting the best information possible. Yeah, I know he says it's that. Like, yeah, that's that's Michael Scott. His understanding that's of what... computers is it's yielded a lot of laughs. <laughs> I remember one time when he said, "We should call YouTube and get them to come down here and film this." Like he doesn't even know how YouTube works or he didn't at the time. Yeah. I think, I still think that my favorite Michael Scott moment, like I said, it's, it's a tough one because when you start thinking of them, they just start piling up. But I think the one that, that I enjoyed the most was still when he takes his business trip to New York and, and the, the, you know, the film crew is following him around as he's just kind of walking around the streets and he's all excited to be in the big apple and, you know, showing off. And it's like, yep, every time I come to the city, got to go get my uh, New York slice. And he turns and walks across the street and the, the shot widens and we see that he's going to the Sabaro. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I just, I love that one. Too many, too many mall memories, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so anyway, we will, uh, we'll be getting more in depth with a concert film focused episode in uh in the weeks to come uh but in the meantime and i don't know i hate to do this at the end or towards the end of the episode but i did get some really bad news over the last i think it was about a week and a half ago now uh that actually has a direct connection to the film pod um the top hat video 
the video store in Bountiful that has been around for 40 plus years, I believe. Uh, started off as Adventureland Video and was in uh, Five Points Mall for years and years and became Top Hat and has been over at uh, kind of Colonial Square area for, I don't know, a couple of decades at least. Um, they are closing their doors mm-hmm. and uh, coming to an end. You might re- recall if you are, uh, if you've listened to a few episodes back, we had the manager and one of their employees on. On a really fun episode, we got to talk about favorite movies and talk about kind of the nature of the video store and what we're losing. Um, and apparently, we're going to have more more evidence of that phenomenon because because uh, Top Hat's going to be. I think that the plan is to uh, stay stay open through the end of this year mm-hmm. and then uh, and then shut things down. So I guess there's still a chance that uh, you know the ship could write itself or something could happen or you know i think the uh you never know when some deep-pocketed local millionaires decided to step in and say i want to single-handedly keep video stores alive in utah wouldn't that be nice um but uh yeah no it's it's sad in fact i i went over um so i i I found out about this right at the beginning of my my trip last week, which is the reason we didn't have an episode last week is because I was out of town and uh, put a little bit of a damper on the the trip. And then when I got back um, earlier, or just when I got back last weekend, I wound up getting in touch with uh, Shanna, the manager, and I I went over to attend their – they have a film club that uh, I think it was meeting – once a month it's it's a relatively new thing they've only done it a couple times and i think they're only going to have one more meeting after this but i got to sit in and talk horror movies with everybody and took some pictures and it was it was a fun but bittersweet experience and uh i don't know that's That's a yeah you know because i i can't think of any other video stores i i do not know of any other similar i think that's it I think that's the last one around. Yeah, I and, think it is too. There, the the articles I've been reading, like on KSL.com, say they believe it's the last video store in Utah. Um, yeah, and it's been uh, open for almost forty years. It's closing in December. They're saying the yeah. last. It's funny. It said the last day to rent movies will be December thirty first. And I thought, <laughs> if they're closing in December, wouldn't they have to stay open till January first at least to get that movie back? Those movies back. Um, yeah, you know, but I don't know what their what their plan is. Well, just in following some of the Facebook posts, I I think that they're going to be selling off, uh, you know, a lot of their their stock, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, absolutely, if you have any proximity or interest, I think you could go over and do that. I I don't know how soon that'll be because you know it's still a little over two months to go. Um, so I I don't know if they'll actually be renting any movies that day or if they'll just be having people come over to wish them well and and maybe sell sell some of the last remaining blu-rays and dvds and uh some 4k discs but uh i would i would definitely say take the opportunity to go over and of course i i even feel hypocritical saying this because you know it's not like i was over there every weekend supporting them and (laughs) and i you know I mean, I, f- I could say the same thing about drive-in movies. I, I love the drive-in movie theater. We've talked about doing a drive-in movie episode, you know, and 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 yet I didn't make it over to Redwood this year. And Motorview closed down. And uh, 
So I don't know. I mean, yeah. so so on the one hand, I feel like, okay, well, I can't say a whole lot because it's not like I'm really doing a whole lot myself to keep these places in business. But at the same time, I feel frustrated because I feel like things that I want to be able to do, I am not going to be able to do anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. I really, for years and years, have loved to go over and, you know, I mean, I'll, I said it when we did the interview and I'll say it again. The, the single best thing about Top Hat is their customer service. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great place and they have a great selection and it's it's a fun, you know, atmosphere and stuff. But the thing the thing that made me want to keep going back there over and over again was just that their their employees were so enthusiastic and so genuine and so happy and and just they really loved movies and and you know that that made a difference and I think that's part of what kept them going and made them so successful for so long and so I'm just really really sad that that's gonna come to an end and you know yeah. I I don't know if it if through a movie club or some other kind of thing I. I want to see the legacy continue somehow. I'm not really sure how that happens, but mm-hmm. it's uh, we're 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 losing a, a, a piece of history. Yeah, genuinely, it's sad. I mean, it's funny though that you mentioned like we're you're we're big movie guys, but we haven't been there. I I don't I don't think I've rented a movie from a from a physical movie store in. 12 years or something. I don't know when you have, but like it reminds me when people complain about the WNBA, how all, the people in the WA don't make any money compared to the NBA. Like it's like one hundredth the salary, but all the people I've heard that complain, they never go to a WNBA game and they couldn't even name like five players. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I, I, I would love, I mean, I love video stores. I have great memories of going to sto- the video store when I was little, going to Hastings and, you know, yeah. Blockbuster and Hollywood video and Circus Cinema, which was part of Macy's <laughs> back in the nineties. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, there's so many other ways to do it now, kind of. You no, and that's what's that hard is that, yeah. you know, you, you understand the logic of it just in terms of the efficiency, the convenience, et cetera, et cetera. But, but you miss the personal, there's a trade-off, the face to face. Right. The, and that's, like I say, that's what made Top Hat so special was that even, even among video stores, because yeah, I mean, a lot of people have some some nostalgic sentiment towards Blockbuster. There's a, you know, there's a documentary about it, even though, honestly, the last Blockbuster isn't really a Blockbuster. It's kind of a mom and pop place that just has the Blockbuster name. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if that one's still going or not. But uh, anyway, no, like Top Hat, there was there was an atmosphere there. And there's just there's just something about being able to just kind of walk around surrounded by movies. I know. I that's love that's it. kind of fun where... You know the the endless death scrolling through Netflix and Amazon and <laughs> Amazon Prime and all these. You know, yeah, you get to it and and maybe you can find what you want and maybe you can't. You know, maybe maybe you're gonna have to pay full price to buy it or yeah. maybe it's just not available. And that's that's kind of where Top Hat was fun was that they they carried a lot of really obscure kind of cool stuff. You yeah, know, and 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 things that you you probably wouldn't find if you were just kind of searching Netflix. Because I'm convinced that, like with with Netflix and their categories, you know, it seemed like they're kind of like re-pitching, and it, well, and Amazon Prime does this too. Like, you go through like three or four categories in a row, and they're really just kind of shuffling the same two dozen movies, mm-hmm. and so so it's a little it's it's a little tough to kind of stumble onto something, 
you know, you kind of have to either be, know what you're looking for and, and, and search for it or, or that, but, uh, there, yeah. So like, like I say, I, I, I understand, I understand why it's happened. I feel, I feel like I'm part of the, the, I, I feel like I'm one of the guilty parties in mm-hmm. it happening, but you know, it's sad. It's, it's sad. It's sad. And I wish it didn't have to be this way. I, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about, you know, because I've, I've been going to top hat exclusively for the last, you know, probably the last say 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I, I would periodically go to, there's a place called Cosmos video up in Kaysville. That was a lot of fun. I remember there was a particular, there was a couple movies there that you could only, you could only find at Cosmos. Um, one was Schlock, the first John Landis movie that was kind of this weird cult hit. And I mm. remember hearing about it from some friends and, oh, you have to go to Cosmos to get that one. Or some of the same friends, I, as I recall, were, were going up there to get the Faces of Death series, which is something I never could bring myself to watch. Uh, it was uh, kind of one of those. Oh. Uh, the suppo- supposed, uh, I, th- I think a lot of them were faked, but it was like this documentary series about, about death. Yeah. Um, supposedly it was going to have like this really, you know, real footage of the guy parachuting into a, a, a river full of alligators and stuff. But anyway, um, but then I, I mean, early on, I remember renting videos from just really obscure places where like a gas station would have its own section of video rentals. Or mm-hmm. I want to say there were even like furniture stores that would have sections of laser discs in, in one corner, you know, and, uh, um, my best, I, I think, I think one of my favorite memories, even though it was, it was a little, it was not fun at the time. There was a, there was a place I want to say it was off the, off of fifth South and Bountiful. And I, I distinctly remember being absolutely terrified because, because you know how, you know, the video stores, they put all kinds of posters on the wall and, and, they would have, you know, advertising what was coming out and all this. And there was a poster for a horror movie called Blood Beach. And and the poster was just terrifying to me. And I'm probably about, you know, I, I'm say six years old, give or take at the time. And and the poster was of so so the idea was there was this monster that lived underneath the sand and was like killing beachgoers and stuff. Mm. And so, so the movie poster was of this, this woman on the beach who was like being pulled under the sand and was like buried up to her waist and her, her arms are in the air. And she's like, has this, this blood curdling scream that you can't hear because it's a poster, but you can kind of hear it in your mind. Oh, okay. And it was just the scariest, you know, cause you couldn't see any monster or anything. You just saw this, this poor human being getting sucked to her duck sucked down to her uh untimely demise oh my and, gosh uh, i remember just being terrified by that not wanting to go back to that store if i thought that 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 poster might be still be on the wall and of course the you know the end of the story is that years later uh as a joke uh i i rented that movie with a with a friend just to see you know what was what was the reality behind this movie that had, that had tormented my my youth and and of course, it was just this terrible schlock '80s horror movie that I think we got about 20 minutes into it and got bored and turned it off because it was it was no good. <laughs> oh, that's funny! <laughs> All that time you just you thought so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I liked so I mentioned a little a minute ago about the circus cinema 
Um, yeah. This was a pretty decent, it wasn't a huge movie uh, selection, but it was, it was pretty good. And it was right, it was kind of in the front side part of the Macy's store in Logan. And, and you could get, I remember there were rentals that were 50 cents. And, and this would have ah. been in probably the late 80s, actually. Um, and, but you'd always go look for the new releases. And I think they were $1.50 or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and and that, that was part of the exciting thing about going about the movie stores when I was younger is you missed a movie in the theater. or the, the, It wasn't, you know, having its theatrical run anymore. And then there was that window where you're just waiting. And the really good movies, you'd find out when what day they were going to be released or what day they were going to be available and try to go try to go get them. And it's funny because when you watch Seinfeld now, there's a lot of Seinfelds where they're at the movie, renting a movie or returning a movie. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah. There's several episodes sure. like oh, that. Yeah. And, and it's really annoying when the one movie you want is out, like when it's uh-huh. gone, you know. And it's funny because in Seinfeld, they take it to the extreme where George goes to... Oh, that's right. He, he tracks down the. Was it breakfast at Tiffany's? I can't remember. But... Yeah, it was. Yeah, and and like some, just some guy was gonna watch it with his daughter, and he just and George like talks his way into their apartment, and mm-hmm. he's like sitting on the couch in between the two of them, yeah. eating popcorn, and <laughs> yeah. But I but I, and I also have good memories of Hastings. Um, me and a couple of friends just going to Hastings, wandering up and down the the aisles for an hour, hour and a half. And my, my, my friend's wife, he, um, she just hated that. It was like, she was just like, get in, get out. If you want a movie, go in, get in, get out. Like, don't just wander and look at all the front covers of the movies. No, you're and missing the point. I know. It was so fun. And then the other thing that's that, and you, you notice like when you're in a group of people, especially if it's like maybe a newer group or it's not like somebody you hang out with a lot, there's so much pressure to choose a good movie. So if you, yeah. if it's like, they they have an option and you have an option and you're like, well, let's go with this one, you know, over their option. Then you feel like, oh, this movie better be good. You know, you're like, you talk it up and because we're all going to commit two hours to this movie. Yeah, you know, that's a big deal. And it's, it's a big deal. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's it was such a it was just a fun part of life, really, was being yeah. able to go and pick out movies. Well, and, and see what and was there coming. were. I, I want to say there were at least a couple, if not so. So, Video USA was one of the places in Bountiful that I remember going to in as a kid in the '80s, and I remember at least on one occasion, if not more, my parents would just kind of somehow talk some of the the employees into giving them some of the old movie posters. Like when they were done, like they would give them some of the old promotional posters, and I still I still have some of them. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, there was one that uh, before I converted my my office here, um, I had a uh, there was a, a promotional poster for Romancing the Stone, mm. the old Michael Douglas and Kathleen, uh, Kathleen Turner, Turner yeah. adventure from the mid '80s, and and it was shaped like an alligator, like it actually was kind of like cut out around like the the spines or whatever on the back of the alligator and. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I remember, I remember, you know, and as a kid, I was just so excited. Oh, man, we got the poster for Last Starfighter, you know, and, and different, different things like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and if I, if, if my memory serves, and part of this is enhanced by my parents, because I think they would talk about this. I think I can actually remember 
the first time we ever rented anything because it was kind of this new novel thing where not only did you rent the movies, but you had to rent the VCR as well oh, yeah. um, because the VCRs were so expensive at, at, at the, at the beginning. And so I have, I have, I have very faint memories of this. And then, like I say, my parents have kind of confirmed it, but I remember getting together with a uh, kind of some, some friends of my parents and their kids. And I was, I was kind of the same age as one of their sons and, and we all, we rented a VCR, which I think my parents said was like $20 to rent. And then we also got 10, the Blake Edwards movie mm-hmm. with, with Dudley Moore and Bo Derek, which we did not see because kids, that was, that was certainly not appropriate. Um, but then uh, Superman, I think is what we rented. And then Pete's Dragon was the, was the other. Okay. And, and I, I want to say that those were like $5 each or something to rent, you know? And so it's like, it was this major, major expense to go and rent a VCR and some movies, but it was, it was cool, you know? Wow. Yeah. I, I remember one time we rented, um, I don't know why we did this, but I think I told you already, Plan 9 from Outer Space by Ed okay. Wood and Citizen Kane. So supposedly <laughs> like the greatest movie and the, the best worst and movie. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> That is, that is great. And I remember my buddy, another friend I used to watch movies with all the time, he and another friend um, one time rent, <laughs> rented a goofy movie and Natural Born Killers. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Two other, you know, opposites, I guess you could say. That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah. No, and, you know, I remember we used to go to, uh, there, was, there was a stretch where 3D video, uh, which was, basically a street away from me, but, uh, technically in Centerville, uh, was a, was a go-to for a lot of years and, and they closed down. And so, yeah, I mean, lots of, lots of memories of different, mm-hmm. like I say, some obscure ones where I, I, I swear up and down that I remember going to a gas station that used to be on the corner of 2600 South and highway 89 in Bountiful. And they had like a wall of video rentals in this gas station mm-hmm. of all places. And yeah. so, you know, any any way that people could make the extra buck, I guess back then they would they would take it. But yeah, doing that, and then uh, then of course, like I said, for for years and years, I you know Top Hat was kind of the go to place, and they would have the great deals after like the last last hour they were open, all their rentals would go down to like fifty cents or something, and mm. you know they would uh, that was good times. That was a that was a good thing. That's a that is an institution that is going to be dearly dearly missed. Yeah, that's sad. That's it's amazing. Unless, amazing they've lasted this long, in a lot of. Oh ways. yeah, no, right. no, and that's. I guess that's kind of what's sad about it is that you know it, it was such an impressive thing to be able to kind of keep going and, you know, so until until we find that millionaire who's going to just single handedly keep the thing, keep the thing going, you know. So, if we got any millionaire listeners, we uh, <laughs> we you're just looking for something to spend your money on. Mm-hmm. We got some ideas. We've got some some options for you. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So uh, well, we're recording this a few days before Halloween. You guys gonna do anything fun for the holiday? Tomorrow is pumpkin carving. Yep. Hey. Yep. We're going over to my wife's parents' house and him and the kids. We just bought uh, five pumpkins today, so we're gonna have a night of it. Have some pizza. I already oh. I already did one. I did one Tuesday or with you know, with the young men in my church, I, I did the little jazz note. It's actually oh. pretty easy. I mean, I, I've done it a couple of times, but it's, it's just the little 
Jay, sure. you know, and right, uh, right. But yeah, and then trick or treating on um, Monday, so it'll be fun. You, are so you dressed full bore? Full bore trick or treating, not trunk or treat, then, huh? We did, yeah, we did trunk or treating a few weeks ago, and then this one is going to be. We'll do some trick or treating. We we don't do a lot, but I'm sure with the the, the you know I have a ten, nine, and seven year old. They're going to want to do quite a bit. I feel like they're at the age where they're going to try to max out their candy haul, <laughs> and so I'll probably go out with them. I'm sure Holly will go out with them. You know, we'll have to stay home with when Graham gets too tired or stay home with the baby. So. It could be a couple hours of pretty intense, you know. Yeah, well, well, good luck, sir. <laughs> Thanks. I, uh, I admire. No, I, I actually, I was, I mean, I trying to find some kind of topic to kind of give my my students some writing exercise yesterday, mm. and I wound up asking him to uh, debate the merits of trick or treating versus trunk or treat. Oh, um, okay. And uh, the one one student of mine was just flabbergasted because he had never heard of the trunk or treat concept and mm-hmm. just couldn't wrap his mind around the idea that why would people do this? Uh, but, you get uh, a lot of candy in a short amount of time. You know, everybody yeah. who's giving you the candy. It's so it's safer. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it. I, when I first heard about it, I thought it was kind of lame, but I I'm into it now. I like it. Yeah. You've been converted. Yeah. <laughs> well, nice. Okay. Well, so, uh, so we already talked about doing a, uh, uh, concert film episode coming up soon now i do know that uh we've already gotten word about the wakanda forever screening um but i don't think we will have seen it by the time we record our next episode so mm-hmm. i don't know what we'll be talking about in the next episode but uh it's a you can look forward to something <laughs> that we will come up with that will no doubt be worthwhile and merit the five star thumbs up whatever the the positive rating it is that you're going to give on iTunes on Spotify on whatever platform you are enjoying this podcast uh any final thoughts or uh, messages mark before we sign off uh just be safe have a fun halloween and uh yeah watch a scary movie only a few more days that you're allowed to legally watch a scary movie so you got to do it quick <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> you don't want to uh want to violate that uh what is that a, is that a misdemeanor or a felony if you're watching horror movies after november 1st it's it's just check your city code it's, i mean you're the lawyer local, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an infraction <laughs> all right happy halloween everybody